All right, welcome back to the 24 Down Podcast, Episode 4. I'm your host, Hat, and I am here with a, a good special guest here we got. I know he's been wanted to get on since he heard about the podcast, so he is on. Big Daddy, Rick Feltenberger, how are you, brother? What's going on, everybody? Happy Father's Day to those Father's Days that, that are out there. Yeah, I wonder how many, uh, there's got to be quite a few of us that are, I mean, I'm I'm not, but there's got to be quite a few of the 24 down guys that are fathers now, you know? Yeah, you got, uh, uh, you got uh, at least uh, Mike. Yeah. Uh, you got Buddha. You got JB, Justin Banks. Yeah. Um, didn't Frizzell have a kid? I don't know. I haven't talked to Frizzell in a few years. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, about other guys like I'm, I'm only sure about guys that I keep in touch with so right right uh, I'm not really positive on that but either way anybody that's a dad out there happy father's day uh you know help your kids grow up strong and smart uh and responsible yeah who would have thought you know was it now 10 15 years ago when we were all in college together that we'd be recording a podcast 15 years later talking about being you know, fathers and stuff like that. I'll be honest with you. You know, I, I think about how long it's been since we've been in college and it is crazy. Like, I can't believe how quickly, uh, like the time passes. It's crazy to me that it felt like yesterday that we were all together, you know? That that's how I that's how I view it. Yeah, one of the one of the things are like me personally that I'm enjoying, and I'm sure everybody else is the same way. But one of the things I'm really enjoying about this podcast is like I have so many memories of 24 Down, but there's ones that like slip through the cracks and you forget about, and then you hear somebody else bring one up and it just like sparks this memory. So, I mean, it has been a while. So it obviously in time you're gonna forget things here and there. <laughs> but I'm loving like hearing all these stories that like I either never knew about or completely forgot about, you know, it's, it's awesome. Oh yeah. Hear it all. So. And um, I still, I still laugh because when I listen to these podcasts, like I, I reached out to you and I told you, man, like when I was listening to the D chat episode, uh, I forgot that I was just listening and I was laying next to my wife and I had headphones in, and here I am like laughing or responding out loud. And luckily she was asleep because she would have thought, wow, you are something special. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's fun to listen, uh, to see, you know, where people are, what they're doing, uh, if they're having fun, you know, just where, you know, their lives have taken them. Uh, the Buddha special was awesome. D chat. I mean, listen to that guy that was a great kickoff to be honest with you. Yeah. I think that's what, that was a great foundation to lay for this podcast, to be honest with you. I don't think that you could have had a better beginning to, I mean, I am a complete opposite type of person than D chat, but getting to know that guy was so great, man. Uh, you know, I can't say anything bad about the guy. He's, he was a loving person, man. It, it was like he wanted to be everybody's friend. Right, for uh, sure. And I, and I enjoyed the times with him. Uh, and I'm just glad to see 
that life has taken him to places of unknown and out of his comfort zone because I remember there were things that he just wouldn't do because he just didn't feel, you know, good about it. And to hear that he went to all, all those countries and he's never been outside the U.S. until after college and how many mission trips and stuff that Valley Forge put together that he didn't partake in at the time, but then 28 different countries. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know what? He didn't even, he, the, the one crazy part about it is he didn't even tell us how he got the money to go on these trips. And I think that would have either been something supernatural or some way of him scrapping because when I look at D Shat, he is scrappy as it can be. And scrappy is a, a good term as in he will never look at something as he's failing. He will always look at something as how can I make this better? What can I do? How can I put my spin on it? How can I, how can I resignate God in this situation? So it's awesome. And, uh, you know, listening to the Andrew special, I'll be honest with you, man, like the military stuff gets me all uh, teary eyed because I, I strongly support, you know, police and military and all that kind of stuff. You can't pay somebody enough to do that kind of stuff. And to hear that, uh, you know, something bad could have happened to him. You know, he's got two kids and a wife and all that good stuff. Uh, it, it's just amazing that somebody after everything that he did prior to going would even consider doing something like that. So I applaud him very much. Uh, and then as far as the Buddha special, man, there, there was just so many good nuggets in there. I love the dude. I listen to him all the time on Facebook. So, uh, and even when he just puts up those two to three minute little blurps while he's walking to work or he's driving to work, it's just fun to hear his voice, you know? So I just wanted to throw like the little tidbits out about the episodes that we've heard so far. Just great quality, great people. I just love this. And that, that was part of the reason why I wanted to be on this, you know, just to be part of something great. For sure. No, I mean, that's, that's awesome. It's, it's good hearing. Like I said, I, I, I like hearing people's reviews and, and, and it's encouraging to see all the you know everybody talking about it and i haven't heard any bad stuff about the podcast yet and hopefully it stays that way but no it's really cool to hear that and and i agree with everything you said man it's it's i mean you you hit the hit the uh nail on the head right there so <laughs> <laughs> um well let's uh let's start this off same way we've been starting it off um go through and give us kind of a you know, however long you want to take, uh, just <clears throat> recap what has been your life since college. Where are you at now, and how did you get there? That kind of thing. Oh, well. <laughs> to be honest with you, what's funny is this is going to take a different turn than every single person that's been before me. That's all right, so, though. <clears throat> so, I thought I met the love of my life at Valley Forge. Um, as soon as I graduated, I moved out to Pittsburgh. And uh, I didn't have a place to live uh, in the beginning, and I didn't have a job. So 
<clears throat> I, I knew that one of my best friends lived out here and the best blessing was that he allowed me to stay in his apartment because he somehow miraculously was taking class, not classes, but he was training for his job in Cleveland. So I was able to stay at his apartment until I could find work and I could find a place to live. So I did all that. Um, and then him and I roomed together for probably about six months until I got married. Um, I got married in, I think, uh, 2011 and then got divorced in 2015. So, um, without, you know, a lot of wrongs don't make a right, you know, that's all the saying. So I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole of, you know, whether I was wrong or she was wrong or anything like that, but you learn from a lot of the mistakes that you've made, you know, over time. And, uh, the one thing that I took away from the marriage is <clears throat> I never in my life want to fake myself. So, and what I mean by that is I, it's all started in college where I felt like I had to change myself to fit into a box that was acceptable. And uh, <clears throat> eventually what happened was it created a lot of resentment and a lot of bad feelings uh, to the point where we would argue all the time. And then when we got divorced, uh, that, that was the hardest part of my life to be honest with you. Um, what sucked real bad is we owned a home together. And then I thought I was getting like this nice apartment. Okay. I went to see it and they told me that, Oh yeah, we'll have it clean for you. Like all this kind of stuff. Um, and then when I moved in, like HVAC didn't come, nobody cleaned anything. There were, there was like soap scum on on the walls in the bathroom, uh, in the tub, the, <clears throat> the person who lived there prior to me was smoking inside the building, which he wasn't supposed to, uh, there was burn marks all over the carpet, which they did come in and change the carpet, but not until I was already there. So, which made me mad, but the hardest part, the biggest moment of my life, uh, and the hardest part was I had to clean everything, um, not not by myself, but there there was there was a night, uh, one of my first nights, where I felt so down because when I moved in, nothing was clean, and I just sat there and started weeping and crying because I thought this is the crappiest moment of my life and I don't have a home anymore. And now I'm living in this crap hole and people lied to me and I just felt betrayed 
you know. But after that, <clears throat> you know, you get down on your hands and knees and you start cleaning. And uh, what was funny was I uh, used the, the description of the, the, uh, the refrigerator in the kitchen. It looked white until you started cleaning it. And then you could see that there was all this yellow film on it. And I looked at what was happening in my life as like, I'm at the very bottom of where I could be. I don't have anywhere to go except for up. And I think during the cleaning time, I kind of had a, a, a way to, I had to view it as, am I going to let this kick my butt for the rest of my life? Or am I going to pick myself up and move forward? It, it took me a while, but do, during that cleaning phase, you know, I just looked at the fact that, okay, you know, if you look back in Jesus time, you know, everything was dirt. If you fell down you had to dust yourself off, you know? So I, I did all that. And then I met the most amazing woman after that. And uh, my life has changed so much. Uh, you know, I, I've been working for Verizon Wireless for the last 10 years. My 10-year anniversary will be August 2nd. And uh, haven't ever worked for a, a company that long in my life. But when I met my, my second wife, uh, my my salary, my commission, like everything that I have been doing in my life has increased in full. She has two amazing kids. I love them with all of my heart. And I appreciate everything that she does for me because I can honestly say that I'm in a much better place. We own a home. Uh, she's the rock of my life. If I didn't have her, truly, I would be a lost person. And, you know, when you get into different relationships, you always kind of think the same mindset of like, man, where would I be without this person? Well, I truly feel that way this time. We, we connect on so many levels. We're literally the same type of person this time instead of me trying to fit myself into a box. Um, we finish each other's sentences and all that kind of mushy, gushy stuff that she would want to vomit if she heard me say that you know so but uh it brings me to to today you know father's day and uh what i would like to say uh, about the kids is i know that they are not mine by blood but i appreciate them so much and i hope and pray that at some point in my life I can do something for, to, for them that they can look back and be proud of. Uh, that's really all I want out of life is to make them proud that I was even in their life. Uh, I always want to try to do the right thing. And they have taught me so much because when I first moved in, it was very tough because of the way that they talked to their mom and how they acted. I would have probably been beaten to death by now uh, if I did that in my home. So they taught me how to listen properly. They taught me how to answer without always feeling like I'm correct or right. 
they appreciate when I can see from their point of view and not always want to manipulate the situation to where I want them to do what I want. So they have taught me a lot on how to slow my roll and shut my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it's just been, it's just been great so far. I love Christmas with them. Uh, Noah's in lacrosse and Kaylee loves cars. And at the end of the day, I, I get so happy just even talking about them because I can't really say the things that I want to say to their face because they'll just be like, Ooh, you're weird. But, uh, I really do love them. Like they're my own and I'm, I'm very proud to get to be, uh, their dad. Man, that's Rick. That's awesome. Like that, that whole, that whole story of everything you just shared is so incredibly powerful. And, and, I think a lot of people within 24 down know you for being, you know, fun, loving, goofy, but they also know like you've got such a heart and you can get serious and Holy crap. Was that powerful, man? That like that, that, and that story is everything about it from you realizing where you were in your life by looking at a, a a fridge, cleaning the fridge and, and, you know, comparing yourself that same way. Like, so so powerful man um and it takes a lot to be able to have gotten through that the way you got through that and i i commend you and, and seriously that's very very powerful i appreciate it yeah so um i don't know if there's anything <laughs> else you want to you want to touch on that before we get to some questions before we uh do 24 down stuff um I mean, I have, I have preached a, a couple times, so yeah. that, that was fun. Um, I, I preached at a church called Living Waters, and I don't know if they still have the recording, but it was, it was a pretty cool time. Uh, you know, the, the, one thing that, the one thing that I will touch on, because I never really got to share this story, but I'll be honest with you. There, there are churches out there that, and, and I, I, I mean this with all the respect in the world, but there are churches out there that are a waste of space. Uh, so I, I, I don't mean that in like a horrible way, but when I was in college and I had to do my internship, uh, it was the worst experience of my life can't even remember the I can't even remember the name of the church it was in Downingtown Pennsylvania and uh and trying to be the intern there you know the 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 pastor of the church moved the sold the church to a a New York singing group uh it was I I heard them sing super awesome uh it was a a black lady choir and it was beautiful but their church was so tiny so they just sold them that building and then they uh then they moved into like this business uh i I don't really know what you would call it like a business complex or whatever and they set up these chairs and they had church and everything 
Well, I thought, you know, you go to an internship, you're going to learn more about God. You're going to learn about how to be a pastor. You're going to learn the ins and outs of everything. And I learned like zero. What I did learn is how to change a door on a bathroom stall. I learned how to chop wood, which I already learned. I already knew how to do. Uh, I learned how to how to load wood into a track, like onto a flatbed truck, uh, and that was basically like my whole entire experience. And so I asked the pastor a couple times, like, you know, what he does and all this kind of stuff, and he was telling me that he works eighty hours a week. And I'm like, how do you work eighty hours a week being a pastor? You know, and he goes, well, we don't have any other pastors besides myself. So, you know, hospital visits and all these kinds of things. And I'm just like, it still just doesn't add up, you know, to what, you know, to what that is, you know, in my, in my opinion. So I wrote a sermon and I said, well, one of my, one of my class things to get graded on is to do a sermon wrote this sermon and uh he picked it apart because here we are at an ag school and i have done sermons in the past for different classes and you know the only critique that i would get in these classes is like you know for certain different things that i might have missed upon but it was always clear what i was saying so he basically told me that we ha he has to be careful of what I say to his congregation because he doesn't want anything, any, any pots to be stirred. So he read over my whole sermon, and then he goes, well, let me give you some tips. He's like, maybe not say, say it like this. You know, maybe not do this, maybe not do that. And I had to do what he told me to, or he wouldn't have let me preach. But if you're going to critique everything that I say, what is, the, what is the point of my interpretation of what God is putting on my heart? And then, you know, I asked him, man, this business little place is a little small. You know, what happens if you get bigger? He's like, oh, that won't happen. I said, why? He's like, because I like how big our church is currently. He's like, I don't want it to get any bigger. So I'm just thinking, isn't that counterproductive of a pastor to not want to grow the congregation? Or even if you didn't want to grow your own church, why not church plant? You know, if you only want 100 to 150 people in your congregation, why not grow somebody up and plant a church that is a few like in an, in the next town or or whatever to you know gain souls for Jesus. So I came out of that experience being like, man, if this is what being a you know trying to get into the ministry is like, this is awful. Uh, so most awful experience, and then that triggered something in my head. So I have to share this too, because I think when Buddha hears this, he will be very disappointed uh, because he is in the ministry. 
and he's got he's gotten through like all these different things but when i was married to my first wife she was the children's director at their school <laughs> and uh this church reached out to her and said hey we would like you to come in for an interview we have a children's pastor role available and then possibly uh, well, this is what she told me. She's like, and, and possibly a youth pastor position. So I'm thinking, okay, well, we're going to go. We're both going to interview. Uh, this could be a great step in our, in our life. So we go to this church. It's a pretty big church. They have their own school. So we get a tour of the school. We get a tour of the church. Uh, their youth facility is ginormous. It, like, it was awesome. And then, so I finally figured out uh, after the conversation that I had, uh, well, that we had with this pastor, and I'll share that at the end. But during this interview with her, you know, everything was going smooth. You know, he's asking her a ton of questions, doesn't ask me any questions. So I'm just like sitting there all silent just trying to be supportive. And then as he's wrapping up the interview, he looks at me and says, well, if we were to hire her, what would you do? And I just kind of blanked. I wasn't prepared for him to say something like that because I was under the impression when we were going there that this was going to be a package deal, okay? The pastor's son was the youth pastor, but he was also the worship leader. And I thought he was just going to go full-time worship leader and then just do, you know, give off the, the youth pastor role for somebody else. But when he said that to me, I could have curled up into a ball and cried my eyes out because it was at that moment in time that I realized that if you don't grow up in your church and you're not a part of your church and you don't have somebody in your corner to get into ministry without having any connections whatsoever is the equivalent of you trying to get to the majors in baseball. You're like in freaking single A and you have to try to get to the majors. And no one even knows who your name is. And I didn't realize that that's how hard it was going to be when I was in college. I thought you get out, you have your degree. I have a bachelor's in pastoral ministry. I have a minor in youth ministry because I did like a whole extra freaking semester of classes so I could minor in youth ministry. And this guy totally blindsided me. And that right there in that short amount of time basically helped me understand that there was a very slim chance that I'll ever get into ministry. And I'm not saying that that can never happen, but <clears throat> the people, the people that don't get paid for ministry are the ones that will work another job and then go do the ministry because that's just, they feel it laid on their heart. 
well, if I'm going to be full-time ministry, like I want to be taken care of for that because I, I would be giving my, my whole entire life to that. And there was a customer of mine that I finally figured out why I could never, why I could never preach at his church. He always asked me in March, well, he always goes away to these conferences for his work in March and always asked me to preach. Well, it's during the time of my, of my wedding anniversary. So my wife and I are always usually away, you know, doing something fun. But uh, he pastors two churches and doesn't get paid anything. And he works for John Deere uh, for his regular job. And I just, I don't want to say those things to be discouraging to other people that want to get into ministry that might have had the same type of, of experiences. But if you know that you're called into ministry, don't stop. I mean, I can't say that I stopped. I just, I didn't really have a leg to stand on because everybody cared so much about my ex-wife and what she would bring to the table that it overshadowed anything that I could possibly bring to the table. And I have never been treated that way my whole entire life. I have always had something to bring to the table. And that those, those types of experiences that I'm giving to you right now have just absolutely crushed me as far as thinking about ministry or wanting to get into ministry because those experiences were so negative, but they were so powerful. And I want to encourage pastors to never do this. Always find a way that if you're not interested to come up with something that is encouraging to the other person, because you're not paying attention to how you're making people feel. That's number one. So just remember that if you're in an interview process to try to hire a pastor, or you're trying to hire somebody for ministry, you need to, you need to understand that the words that come out of your mouth may be the reason why they keep pursuing ministry or they totally stop wanting to even be interested. So that's my encouragement to anybody that's out there in ministry that listens to this podcast. Just remember, you are the difference between someone craving ministry still but just didn't have what they, what you wanted in your church or your ministry, which is completely fine because ministry is a business, but just remember how you word things and how you leave people and how you treat them. Because I totally lost the hunger and it wasn't because I didn't have a hunger for God. I just felt like ministry sucks. And that's where they left me. I have super bad taste in my mouth from my internship to the very first interview that I thought that I was going to be looked at to be a youth pastor. And I basically wasn't even, I shouldn't even have been there. That's what I felt. I, I don't even know why I was there, but that's my take on it. Always be the lamp to somebody's feet. Always be encouraging because ministry is hard to get into if you don't have connections. I promise you it, it is the hardest thing because, you know, I come out here, we have even the big church that we are part of, Central Assembly in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, nobody even came up to me and said, hey, you graduated Bible school. If we open up a position, are you going to be interested? No, never even had a conversation about it. 
Like no one even approached me. And they all knew that I graduated from Valley Forge, you know? So it's just one of those things that just always be encouraging to people, even if you're not interested, because you could be the difference on whether they pursue ministry or whether they totally just don't want to do it anymore. No, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's a, I think that's a very honorable, uh, you know, challenge that you've, you brought up. And, um, I mean, I, there's a lot of what you said that, um, I I feel in, in my own way, I feel right there with you and I'll get, I'll get more into detail with that, uh, coming down the road. I, I know I was asked by a few people when the, uh, the Josh Hatmaker episode is going to be, <laughs> uh, so I, I, that'll come maybe episode 10, maybe some episode 20. I want to get a bunch of other people on first before I start giving my side, but man, like uh, just, just a quick little, uh, I guess tidbit is man. I, I not in the, not in the same exact situation, but I, there were things that I went through that completely 100% turned me off to the ministry. Absolutely. Wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Didn't same way with you. Didn't change my walk. Did you know, I, I still believe everything I've always believed, but man, it, it just completely put out the fire. May, and, and maybe that's what was supposed to happen. I, I don't know, you know? Um, so like for my personal stuff, I, I'll get into that whenever I have an episode of my own, but as far as you, man, like I, I'm, I guess I bring that up to say, like, I understand to an extent uh, the, the feeling you felt like different experiences, right but that, that sentiment of just, you know, and it catches you off guard, man. I can't tell you like that. That was one looking back. That's like the stuff that led me to the point of being where I was in that mindset of being like, I'm done. Some of the most hurtful things I've ever gone through in my life, whether it was intended that way or not. So, I mean, it's a different experiences, man. And I can't, I wasn't there in your shoes, but to an extent, I understand. And uh, I don't think, dude, I I know you said you were worried about Buddha being upset. I don't think Buddha or anybody else is going to be upset. Like Everybody knows your heart, Rick. And everybody right. knows, you know, <clears throat> and if anything, they're just going to have other encouraging words for you. But I think, I think you challenged some people, and I think you opened eyes to maybe – things that people don't necessarily think about all the time. So that's awesome, man. I, it's, it sounds like to me, it sounds like the Rick from Valley Forge days is still the same Rick today. You know, he's still funny. He's still loving. He still gets serious if he needs to get serious. So, Oh yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. Well, you want to hit some, you want to hit some questions here? Yeah, man. So I know, I know you got I know you know a few of these. I actually got quite a few of them. Um, I'm, I'm uh, excited. So I'm excited for this part. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have like so much stuff written down. Yeah. So Buddha, Buddha encouraged me to go the full two. And I'm like, <laughs> well, we might. We might. <laughs> well, so, I will. I, we will do the questions here and it might take care of some of the stories you have. Um, right. When we're done with the questions and I'm going to do the same thing, I'm going to turn the floor over to you and let you hit on whatever stories you want to hit on that. Remain. Yeah, man. So. Right. Uh, 
All right, so the, here's, and I, I know you know these ones, so I'll just, I'll go through Junior's questions here. Um, Junior said, what inspired that beautiful, sexy artwork sleeve tattoo on that beautiful shoulder of yours? Oh, man. So this is actually kind of funny because if it wasn't for Andrew Kindler, <laughs> I probably would have been suspended. <laughs> because um, this was after, this was after my, my bad breakup uh, when I was at college. And it wasn't so much a revolting type of scenario to where, like, I was just mad, so I wanted to get a tattoo. <clears throat> but I did want to get a tattoo that meant something to me. So, um, so when I look over my tattoo, and I don't know if I really explained ever you know, to anybody in 24 down or anything, probably if, if anybody doesn't know what it means, then it's probably because I didn't want to bring attention to it because I got it over like a, over winter break, uh, in 20 and 2008. So, and, uh, I'm sorry, coach Mac. I know that he'll probably never listen to the podcast, but I kind of lied to his face and, uh, but you know what? I think he knew that I was lying because I kind of winked at him when I said it and I laughed or giggled, whichever, whichever, uh, you know, cause I'm just that type of person. But, uh, I remember sitting in the, I remember sitting in the, the gym and coach Mac came over and he's like, Hey man, that's some nice ink. When did you get it? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I've had this. He's like, I'd never really remember seeing this before. And this is when it was like half done. So when it was over winter break, oh my God, the most excruciating pain I have ever gone through in my life. Well, besides my heart, but you know, uh, so everyone knows that I have the big lion like on my chest. And when I was getting tattooed on my chest, it felt like the needle was in my neck and I had my shirt off. And here we are, it was like December, January or, or whatever, eight hours in the chair. <clears throat> and I was like, holy macaroni. So he did all of the outlining and then did the shading. The only thing he didn't do was color in the lion's face uh, on my chest. And I was laying there shaking, like by the end of it, it, it was like I never experienced that feeling in my life and I wanted to stop and then I got up he went to take a smoke break and I got up and I looked in the mirror and I'm like man this tattoo is pretty bad a you know and uh I looked at myself in the mirror and I said you got to finish this you, you can't you can't wuss out you know but uh the around my chest, like a neck area, like where my collarbone was, was the worst pain I have ever experienced. I couldn't breathe. So basically when he got more ink, I would take a few breaths and then I would breathe in real deep and hold it. And then when he tattooed, I would breathe out real slow, uh, you know, just to keep the pain from killing me. Um, but anyway, to go back, uh, now that I've got to kind of look. So I have, um, shark's teeth which represent protection 
Uh, I have um, um, in the so this is kind of like a, a New Zealand tattoo kind of or or like a, a warrior tattoo and the way that he did the tattoo was kind of like he wasn't trying to make it perfect because I wanted him to make it look like I got tattooed with like a stick you know so the, so the lion is for courage and I have that over my heart and that's to keep courage and always having faith in God and then I have a um I kind of have like a diamond pattern, which is found on warriors' chests in battle. And the more that they had of that, the more the more crazy these guys were and passionate about themselves or, well, about their cause, you know. So that was a warrior for Christ. And then um, – and then I have – these circle patterns, which is a New Zealand plant that's called Karu, which means new life. So it's basically the story, like my salvation story, all in a crazy Polynesian tattoo. So if no one ever knew that, that's what it means. Um, you know, it's just being born again, having the courage to speak the gospel, never being ashamed being a warrior for Christ. Uh, it was kind of funny when I was in high school, we used to have this Bible study and we used to talk about being warriors for Christ. And we made these shirts and, you know, over the periods of time, like I couldn't remember where the scripture came from, but if people that read their Bible, uh, there's these people that are in the Bible, their names are Gadites. They're men of war fit for battle. And that was kind of like the whole warrior scenario for me. Uh, and that came from high school. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to put my own spin on it. I would never walk into a tattoo shop <clears throat> ever in my life and just go to the flash and be like, I like this tattoo, put it on me. I'm not that type of person. If I get a tattoo, it's going to tell a story and it's going to be my own spin on things it's going to represent me as a person uh you'll never catch me with a tattoo that somebody else could ever have on their body that's a, no I mean, that's cool so i in in talking about that i just something i don't know passed in my head and i thought i'd, I'd say it out loud <laughs> so your whole story of what that tattoo meant this is kind of like and again i don't want to like just talk negatively about valley forge or the church um, or anything like that but right. imagine if imagine if you gave that story of what that tattoo meant but you were talking about just this logo it wasn't a tattoo it was just logo <clears throat> hey like and you're, you're preaching a sermon about what this tattoo meant or you know, this logo meant exact same thing and you got it on a t-shirt and everything like that valley forge would be just as quick to be like oh that's awesome let's sell this shirt in our in our little store or whatever but the, the reality is, oh, but if you want to get a tattoo of it, then no, that meaning doesn't mean anything to us now. Like, how dare you get a tattoo? Like, it's just, <laughs> that's just crazy to me. I don't know. Well, the crazy part now is, Hat, you could go to class the way that you, have, the way that you are right now. Yeah. You got your piercings, uh, you know, ear piercings, tattoos. They don't even care. You know why? 
it's because people didn't want to go there because of all the rules. Uh, and I'll get into that when, you know, when we get to some of my questions, like my own questions or things that I want to bring up. Okay. Because Valley Forge has definitely changed over the years. I haven't been back since I graduated. So I get all of my stories from you guys. Right. But I'll have my thoughts on Valley Forge in the beginning versus as we gradually went through sure. uh, the years. So sure. I'll get to that. All right. Um, so another, another question here from Junior is, have you patented your laugh yet or pursued Disney Pixel to use it in one of their movies? I have not. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, I mean, it would be cool if that was something that you could do. Um, but there's no patent. Uh, but I have always wanted to do voices or laughs in cartoons. Uh, it would be so fun to be able to do that. Yeah, I could see you doing that. <laughs> Um, here's a, here's another question from junior and, and this is going to be an exact question that he asked Buddha as well. So, um, I'm pretty sure you just copy and pasted during the, yeah, prime, I think so too. <laughs> during the prime of 24 down wrestling, uh, you along with pastor Buddha choke slam 24 down podcast host, Josh Craig Labatt hat maker from the top of a ladder <laughs> to the very bottom of the middle of the 24 down hallway to the point that his head bounced off the floor like a basketball. How fulfilling was that experience? <laughs> my, my response to that is, I'll admit, my first thought was to make it good for the video, <laughs> hence the extra elbows, okay? <laughs> but from, from above you, you, you couldn't tell no. that, your, that your head hit the ground that hard, okay? No. Uh, it was definitely an accident because I remember that we talked about that right before we did it. Like, Hey guys, like try not to tip me over too far or my head's going to hit the floor first. So our first initial thought wasn't like, Oh crap, we're going to possibly kill hat in this moment, you know, but remember our floors were like cement. Yeah. So, so it wasn't like wood or anything like that. I'm pretty sure that we dropped you on your head on pure cement. Right. Uh, but it was definitely an accident. Um, however, it's like getting punched in the nuts. It hurts, but you laugh in the pain, and I laughed at your pain. So <laughs> <laughs> Don't be sorry. So, like, just a quick, just a quick little like. I want to put this in. I didn't. I didn't bring it up in Buddhas, but like, I I actually watched that video back after the episode with Buddha because it's like, oh man, I haven't seen that video in so long. So I watched it back. And knowing like what I know now about wrestling and like how to, and I'm, I'm no, by no means an expert. I'm no, by no means a professional wrestler, but there's certain things I like know you're supposed to do, not supposed to do. I did not tuck my head like I should have. And if anything, I think I kind of, you guys, you guys were protecting me so well. And I think I kind of like put my momentum back into it. So that was probably nobody else's fault but my own. Like, not that doesn't that doesn't lie on you guys. Like that. Well, I I also remember that Buddha and I both put our hands underneath you. Yes. So that way, when we did choke slam you through the table, it wouldn't have been so hard. Yes. Because could you imagine? It, it wouldn't have mattered if it was your your head. You probably would have. It probably would have like crushed your diaphragm. <laughs> right. Would have been able to breathe. Right. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until 
you showed the video back because from the top, like I said, when you, when we choke slammed you through the ironing board, you couldn't tell from the top how bad you were hurting. So that's why I was thrown in the extra elbows, but it wasn't until you rolled the video back and then you can see your head bounce off. I'm just like, man, I am such a jerk. I didn't even <laughs> need to do that. If I would have known, I just would have been like, hey, man, you okay? <laughs> right. No, it's, I mean, I think, it, I think it adds to the video having you drop the extra elbows. So at this point, like you said, it's in the past. Who cares? And it's fun to look at now. So, all right. This, uh, this question comes from uh, Matt Baldwin. He wants, oh. to know, he wants to know how you tickle mothballs. see the funny thing is you can't do it you can't show everybody because it's a video but it's basically basically like your hand tickling balls you know i mean it's it's such a bad scenario and i hate to say it like that but oh my gosh it's so funny but he'll get the gist because if you make the little sound like he's like yeah that's right yeah i I think I think more than anything, he probably just wanted to to get the laugh out of you because that was a joke oh, yeah. you guys had together, right? Yes. Yeah. Mothballs. <laughs> All right. So this, I got a question that's coming from Francis here, and yeah. you can skip this one if you want because I know you said you weren't sure if you wanted to be too loud, um, but Francis wants to know if you can yell "Mortal Kombat" as loud as you can. <laughs> all right so i got another question here um and this uh this is a question from junior but tom kind of added on to it so the original yeah. qu- the original question was who would win in a laugh battle you or eddie murphy uh definitely me Okay, and because, then t- because because what once I get going, like you know as well as I do, like there were time periods of time when something was so funny that I couldn't stop laughing. I don't know how long Eddie Murphy could just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I I don't know, but there are times that it was like a motor. You know, it just kept going and going and going, but it sounded like it was flooded. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Tom Rizzo asks basically the same question, but instead of Eddie Murphy, he he wants to know who would win a laugh battle between you and Seth Rogen. Still me. I I mean, my laugh is powerful. I I mean, you could, you, so people told me once before, like when we were at 24 down, if we were on the stoop outside, you could hear my laugh across campus. So that's, that's a powerful laugh right there. Cause it comes from the gut all the way up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's see. We got, um, let's see. We've got, here's a, here's a question from uh, D chat. Okay. He, he asked <laughs> first, he asks if you could, there's so many impressions that people want you to do. He asked if you could do, um, your Santa Claus ho ho ho. Ho ho ho. <laughs> and then so so then he, he says he wants to know if you remember having to drive to Pittsburgh with him for school um <clears throat> for the school rally skate demo in his car for over three hours with a seat that wouldn't recline at all. He said he still feels bad for you. 
Uh, yes, and actually, you know what's freaking funny about that is that was going to be one of my stories. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, because because I D Shat didn't even he didn't say anything in his podcast about it, but when he started talking about music and stuff, it just triggered that story, man. And that was part of the reason why, like, I was I was saying that D Shat and I are completely different types of people. However, dude, we jammed out. I, I don't even know how we were able to speak or even talk after we drove all the way from Valley Forge um, to, to where Jason Lamer picked us up for the Seven Project because we, we jammed out to Blindside and like a couple other bands and we're like literally the, the music is up as loud as possible we're screaming at like the top of our lungs, but dude, we were having the coolest time ever. Yes. That seat was the biggest piece of crap because it was like literally straight up. And I felt like my face was in the dashboard, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't have changed it for the world because the experience that him and I had together during that period of time was one of the coolest experiences ever. It, it bonded us and I, that's why I wanted to share that story because you have two people that are not even close to being the same, but music brought us together and we had a great time. We got to share stories and all that other kind of stuff. And, uh, it was a great moment in time for me. So I, I wanted to tell him that, uh, you know, I thought about that during his podcast and I, automatically wrote it down because I knew that I was going to do a podcast, but I wanted to touch on it. So I always, I always want him to know that I, I still think about that moment. So when he listens to this podcast, he'll be like, Oh man, I can't believe that 10 some years ago, Rick still remembers this moment. Like it was yesterday because that was part of the reason why I was laughing during his podcast is I couldn't stop thinking about that moment that we had. Because I know that it was like the first time that him and I did something together, you know, like as a ministry aspect, but it was one of the coolest times ever. That's awesome, man. <clears throat> That's really cool. All right. We got a, a few more questions here. Um, so this is another, uh, another, I, I guess, somebody asking you to say something. Um, <laughs> Matthias is asking you if you'll say, and this is in all caps, massive explosion. Massive explosion. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, since we're, since we're on the Matthias thing, I have, yeah. I have, so I wrote down a story for him and, uh, let me find it here. Oh, so Matthias will, will appreciate this. So number one, I was the first white dude. Okay. That he ever cut hair. And the first haircut I ever got from him was like two hours long because he didn't know what to do with my hair. So I have like, I don't know, two or three calyx in my hair that you can't really tell, but my hair is so straight that when he was cutting my hair, he goes, this is like, well, I can't really say this is like speaking Spanish because he can speak Spanish, <laughs> but you know, uh, but you know, to, to a barber that has only cut one type of hair. Uh, but at the end of the day, he kind of learned. I think I was able to give him a learning experience 
that he'll never forget because I think it helped him become a better barber. Because, I mean, I think he'll even tell you that, you know, my hair was so hard to cut. But at the end of the day, I think that it, it made him realize that he had to step out of his comfort zone. But it was just nice having him as a barber. But one of, one of the funniest and favorite moments about being in Matias's room <clears throat> is the massive explosion. But I know that he's going to laugh when I reference this. But he always laughed super hard when I would come into his room and start rapping ludicrous. <laughs> because he looked at me as like this country white kid. And then I would go into his room and he'd be playing ludicrous and I'd be rapping to it. He's like, what the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> but that was like some of my favorite moments because there was one ludicrous song that uh, – I'll show you the ups and downs. You'll be my elevator diva. And when I would say it, I would say it in like a funny voice. And I can't remember how I did it, but it would make him laugh so hard that, uh, you know, a lot of favorite moments that I have. So I'm, I'm very appreciative of he, him being in my life, always keeping me fresh. Uh, it was always a pleasure uh, for him being my, my barber for as long as he was able to be, you know, <clears throat> I just want to, I guess I want to say something on, on Matias real quick. We'll take a, this, this will be the part of Rick's episode all about Matias here. Um, <laughs> the, I think one of the really, to me, one of the really cool things about Matias is you hear stories from different people about Matias. And a lot of times it'll be stories that like you never knew right. because, because, Matias was so cool with being so close with everybody that you have these close personal moments with everybody. And, and they were, they were just that they were, Hey, this is our moment together. So like I constantly will hear somebody tell a story about Matias and I'm like, I, I never knew that, but it's because that's his little, the, the bond that he had with that particular person. Yeah. I love that. I love that guy to death, man. And, and it's part of, it's part of being a barber though. Yeah. I mean, honest to goodness, like going to a barber out here in Pittsburgh, it's like the same way. It's like you talk to them like you would not talk to anybody else. And, and I think those were, those were part of the moments that were private, not so much private because the, the room was always open, but you always experienced different types of moments, uh, maybe personal things, all because you're, you're in that moment. You know, you don't really have anything else to talk about. You know, I remember talking about him about like relationship stuff because he was going through like some things with girls and, you know, all this other stuff. But we had <clears throat> we had like so, so many fun times. Uh, and like I said, there, there's there's nothing, nothing ever better than, you know, having a guy like that. And a matter of fact, what's funny is he was no longer at school and I needed a haircut. I literally drove from campus all the way to his house and he introduced me to his mom and stuff like that. And he just put, he just put a chair in the middle of the floor and cut my hair and gave me a shape up. But I, I will never forget that either because he goes, dude, if you, he's like, I won't even charge you if you want to drive all the way here. I literally drove all the way from school for him to cut my hair because I didn't want anybody else to do it. That's you know? awesome. 
That's so, so awesome. Yeah. I don't know if he remembers that or not, but he, he will now. It'll right. Be like, back to him. But yeah, <laughs> that's a funny moment too. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I'm I'm very much looking forward to having him on an episode here pretty soon. So that'll be good. All right, we got a few more a uh, few more questions. These are the the Buddha questions. I think you saw these, so um, I think yeah. you're prepared for them. Um, Buddha asks, "What your first impressions of Twenty Four Down? What was your first? It, it sucked. <laughs> so so that." So I had a lot of things to say about this first question because I knew it was coming. Um, and when I say it sucked, I mean, I laugh. But uh, the last podcast with Buddha on it, and he said that uh, he had never – he never went to the campus. He just signed up and went, okay? That basically was me. I only had one campus visit my whole entire life. And that was because I actually thought that I was going to play baseball. Um, out of high school, I went to uh, Messiah College. And I thought, you know, hey, maybe I'll get a ministry degree here. And the only reason why I didn't go there was because they didn't have it as a major. You could only do two years and then you were done. Uh, so you couldn't even get a full degree. But I went on to that campus. And my parents did the whole orientation without me. The baseball coach came and picked me up in this little golf cart. And we drove around the whole entire campus. He showed me the baseball field, like showed me like their indoor facilities and all that stuff. So my parents learned about the whole college experience. I didn't sit in on anything. The coach like brought me to lunch, had me sit with some, some of the best pitchers in uh, some of them got drafted, uh, you know, but I had never seen guys that were like six foot five or six foot seven that were thrown in the nineties uh, until I sat at that table. I mean, you see like professional athletes, like professional baseball players, and you're like, you're in awe of these people. But when you see them at the college level before their career, like even gets started, it was crazy to be a part of that experience. But Reversing back to Valley Forge, <clears throat> I, I spoke to my youth pastor at my church, and he went to, I think it's called Southeastern, right? Oh, in, uh, like Florida? in Florida? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, he graduated from there, and he was like, oh, you should go there. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to go all the way to Florida, man. He's like, well, there is this one college, Valley Forge, in you know, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. So I, I just applied. I didn't know what I was getting into, <clears throat> anything like that. They accepted me. And the very first day I pulled onto campus was the first time that I ever saw the campus. And I thought in the beginning, I'm like, okay, well, this looks cool, blah, 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 has a lot of history, used to be an old World War II hospital. I'm like, how awesome is this? And then they're like, well, you're in 24 down. I'm like, okay, well, show me where to go. Start unpacking my stuff. Buddha comes up to me, starts talking like, hey, you need anything? Let me know. Like, we'll help you out. I get into my room. It's like a shoebox. No freaking air conditioning. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I'm like, what the heck? So... <clears throat> 
So not only that, but I didn't realize that there was a dress code at the time. And stupid me didn't even think about it. It's freaking August, dude. And then they're expecting us to wear freaking pants and a t-shirt with no logo on it to all these like uh, start teams and stuff like that. Dude, I no sooner got a shower than I was like sweating through my underwear there. It was embarrassing. It was was the worst experience in my life. Well, to that point. And I, I honestly, even after the first day, I'm like, what the heck did I get myself into? You know, and uh, I didn't want to be there even. So the the whole thing, like I was going to add to this about the, the Valley Forge experience is the girl that I was dating at the time. Uh, we were we were together for probably two years, almost three years at the time, uh, probably two years. And then she basically came up to me and said, well, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Uh, because I was, I was just working, you know, and she basically told me that I, without telling me was that I wasn't good enough for her and her parents if I didn't go to college. So I had no freaking idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I always wanted to get into youth ministry. So there I was at Valley Forge and my first two years at Valley Forge sucked really bad because I didn't want to be there. It wasn't even, it wasn't, I, my heart wasn't in the right place. I was only doing it for her to appease her uh, and her family. So my regret from that period of time was not going into it full heartedly because I missed out on two full years of 24 down because I was with her. Uh, because I thought that if I enjoyed myself, that I, I wouldn't be putting the effort into our relationship that I thought that I was supposed to. And then come to find out later on down the road that she cheated on me. And then I cried like a little schoolgirl in my room. And then Buddha comes to my rescue. Uh, love that guy. Uh, if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have even have been part of 24 down and I probably would have gone into like a a dark place. And I don't know, like if I could say like I would have done anything bad, but I do have that. I, I I did have those tendencies where, you know, it was kind of like an F you mentality, you know, where you feel like you get pushed to the edge and you're like, I'm a good stinking guy. I'm trying to do everything right. My heart is in the right place. Like I care, I love, I do all this stuff. And then I get stabbed in the freaking back and I just became mad. But if it wasn't for Buddha stepping in, like I might've left Valley Forge. Uh, I may not have ever had any experiences with you guys. Um, you know, I might've done bad things to where like I, I might've gone out and drank, uh, I might have tried to, you know, be bad to women. Like, I I don't know. Not like in a bad way, but, you know, in a naughty way. (laughs) We'll just put it that way. I don't know how else to say it. But if it wasn't for the conversation that I had with Buddha and his encouragement to hang out with the guys on the floor, I wouldn't be on this podcast. 
because I, I would have never have enjoyed myself. Uh, but my only regret is that I wasted two years of my life uh, at Valley Forge not giving it what I needed to give it. So I did spend the rest of my time putting forth an effort. But, man, after that, after that girl and I uh, broke up, it was like my eyes were open. Like I started having so much more fun, got to know a ton of people, and then I felt like I could actually talk to anybody. Like if, if anybody remembers, like Buddha might, I didn't really talk to anybody. Like I was a very, even though I was like a very happy-go-lucky person, I segregated myself from seriously everyone. If I wasn't in class or working, I was in my room by myself. I don't know if Buddha remembers that or not, but um, I I really just kept to myself a lot of the time. So my my thoughts on Valley Forge, it sucked, didn't have any air conditioning, and I didn't want to be there. So that was like my first impressions of Valley Forge when I first got there. So I really had a bad attitude in the beginning and I'm glad that I'm, I'm glad for all of you guys because we did become a close knit family community. And like I said, at any point in time, I could have made decisions that could have potentially ruined my life if it wasn't for you guys. So when I wanted to do this podcast, I really wanted to thank everybody as an individual. It doesn't matter whether I spent one minute with you or whether I spent the majority of time with you. Every single person that was on that floor, I I had at least one conversation with at some point in time. So everybody is equal across the board. Uh, If it wasn't for each individual person, the laughter that we had, the experiences that we had together, uh, I could have had a totally different life than what I have now. So I'm very appreciative, even though I regret the beginning of Valley Forge. Uh, I couldn't have had or asked for a better community to lift me up and teach me what it was like to actually have community and family. So I appreciate all of you from the bottom of my heart. That's really powerful. Um, and I know you say that you regret those two years. Um, but to me, I, I'm sure you wish you could change it. But if you didn't have those two years, maybe the 24 down experience you had the second 24 years wouldn't be as powerful and as impactful and everything like that. So I, I get you're right. I get where you're coming from, but you might have needed that that first two years to really get the last two years, you know, you're, you're right. And, and, you know, and, and I can't, I, I only say I regret it only because I wish that I could have some of those experiences back. Uh, you know, if going back and what I know now, I wish I could, sure. but every experience that we have in our life is definitely a life changer. So that's just like, if I wouldn't have gone to Valley Forge, I wouldn't have met my first wife. And if I didn't meet her, I wouldn't have been out in Pittsburgh. And if I wasn't here, then I wouldn't have met my second wife. And I wouldn't be the happiest that I've ever been in my whole entire life. So everything plays a part in everything that we do. For sure. 
Well, continuing on with the uh, the Buddha questions. So we, we touched on it a little bit, but um, during college, we had our 24 down wrestling. Uh, that was a, a YouTube show, if you will. It was just us being goofy. And at one point, you I think you came up to us and said, hey, like, if you guys need help with anything, if, you know, let, let me know. And we're like, yeah, I mean, we could always use more characters. And so you came up with this character, the Rick, very, yeah. very loose, uh, closely like spin off of the rock. And we right. talked about, we talked about the whole, uh, the promo that happened within, um, <laughs> within the, what was it? Wherever, Bongiorno. Bongiorno, where Matt Baldwin had to come down and, and whatnot. But so, with all that, Buddha wants to know if you can do a reenactment of the Rick. We at Valley Forge where the millions and millions of the Rick's fans want to see 24 down, take on 24 up, and we're going to take them down to 24 lane, and we're going to take this football shining up real nice, turn that sun gun sideways, and shove it straight up the Rudy Pooh candy cane. <laughs> there it is. That's, I mean, I that's keep it clean in the 24 down days because, you know, it's like if we swore, it was like, you're getting fined or you could get suspended. So it was like, I had to come up with stupid words to all make it make sense. And I'm just like, this makes zero sense. But for the time frame, if we had to go back to the Valley Forge days, this is what we had to do to make it sound legit. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, uh, all right, so continuing on. Um, and, and I think you've kind of touched on some of this already. So if you want to touch more on it, we can. If not, we can go to the next question. But he, he asks yeah. Um, what from Valley Forge and or 24 Down has helped you in your life today? Uh, well, I'll try to keep this one short since I, I have brought up a lot of stuff. But uh, what 24 Down and the Valley Forge experience uh, helped me uh, tremendously and is I, I learned to see people for their character and not for their background, you know, their skin color. Um, and one of the things is, you know, like what's, what's attacking the United States right now is like the whole race thing. Well, I grew up in a freaking small town with one signal light. We had one black kid in our whole entire school. I didn't even, when I went to Valley Forge, that was my first ever experience with different races and different ethnic backgrounds. It was a complete change to me, but it didn't, it, it's not like it ever bothered me because I, you know, I'm a lover of all people, you know, but uh, the, the one thing that our community and Valley Forge helped me do is just see people from, uh, from, from their character perspective, because if you can't see people from their character, then what's the sense because nothing else matters it, it the, the person matters not the color of their skin their ethnic background so if i had to say anything that would be my my main go-to is i was able to see because we all came from all different walks of life 
So being able to see everybody for who they were and the character that they portrayed, because we didn't fake anything there. It was like, you either accept me for who I am or shut your mouth. That's, that's basically how we were. And I think that's why we, we took such a, a pride in who we were, because when, when people would say negative things about 24 down, I mean, we wouldn't say F you to people, but that was kind of the mentality that we had because at the end of the day, we knew who we were as people and we didn't care what anybody thought because we knew who, what our character was. We knew that, you know, while a lot of us were glorifying God at the time, but either, but either way, I, I mean, I look at it this way, you know, you have touched on some things that, you know, that you allegedly did <laughs> uh, so, some things that, you know, that you might allegedly did. And, you know, some other people did some crazy stuff. And so did I, it did it negatively impact people. I don't know. Um, and I, w- I would never, I would never say that we probably, uh, we probably hurt God's heart. I would say that a lot, you know, with some of the things that we chose to do. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that we stopped loving God any differently. It, it didn't mean that we lost our faith. Uh, and I think everything that we do in our lives is a learning experience. Uh, my dad used to say that <clears throat> there's a difference between someone who makes a mistake and learns from it. And then a person that makes a mistake and doesn't, he said, the person that makes a mistake and learns from it never does that mistake again. The person that doesn't learn from their mistakes goes to jail. (laughs) That's, I mean, that was kind of his thought process on it. Uh, I'm not saying that they did go to jail or have gone to jail, but he's like more than likely if they keep going down that path and keep making those same mistakes, that's probably where they're going to end up. So the mistakes that I've made and the mistakes that other people have made, if you have made any good choices in your life, you realize that sometimes you have to make mistakes, but you have to be a bigger man to rise above it and say, okay, I made a mistake. That's really not me. So I'm going to make it better. So that's how I would answer that. That's nice. All right. Well, Buddha's got uh, one other question. I, I'm going to kind of somewhat skip it just for a second. Cause it, his question is to share your favorite crazy 24 down story. And I yeah. think, I think you will, I know you've got some stories and stuff you want to share. Um, yeah. So I'm going to skip that for right now because I know you're going to get to that. Um, so before I let you just kind of go and share whatever stories you want, including that one, yeah. I've, I've got, I have a personal question for you and yeah. this might, this might've been part of your, plans anyway also it's been brought up on here twice now and i told i i said that i was gonna talk to you about it when it came up to us explain explain your side of the whole softball story okay so i i will right off the bat say i was pissed i i will not i will not uh tell you a lie i was so mad i wasn't mad at you uh, and I can't necessarily say that I was mad at like my, my own teammates. I, I just, I like to win. I have a winner mentality. 
I'm not one of those like participation trophy type of people. But when I knew your record and I knew that you got like, you get crushed every time. But some of the things that I remember, I, I knew that we were going to lose the game because like everything that you guys was, were doing was like a, no short of a miracle. So, and let me give you a, a, let me give you a little tidbit of what I remember. I remember Andrew Kindler was playing in the outfield and this is when I knew we were going to lose the game. There was a long fly ball to the outfield and he legit just puts his glove up in the air and he doesn't even look. It just landed in his freaking glove and it was like a snow cone catch. And he had his head down. How the heck did he even catch the ball? It, it amazed me, but it made me so mad because that was like in my head, even though that could have been any inning, I can't remember. But that was one of the plays that I strongly remember that he wasn't even looking at the ball entering his glove. He just put his glove up in the air and freaking caught the ball. And it almost bounced out of the glove. It was like a freaking perfect snow cone catch. And you would have thought that he just won the game. Because if I remember correctly, when he made that catch, he jumped in the freaking air and was like, skip to my loo like running in from the outfield. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. So that was one of my memories. Uh, but to get to the point that I know that you're getting to about the experience after the game. So I give all of the credit to my college coach. Uh, and if nobody knows who Don Hoover is, he, he passed away from cancer a few years back. Uh, if it was not for that man, uh, my life would definitely be worse off. Uh, there was a practice that I got out of hand. I was so tired of losing. And I don't know if anybody's ever asked me about baseball my whole entire life at Valley Forge or even on 24 down. But growing up playing baseball, I never lost. Like, we always won. You know, we won <clears> – we won – uh, two district titles out, out of three years of me playing baseball, you know, in high school. Uh, we lost in the first round of states, but even to win the district title, my senior year of high school, we went undefeated in our league. Uh, we just always went to the playoffs. And even in summer baseball, we were always in the finals and things like that. And even from, you know, growing up from like little league and stuff, you know, we just never lost to baseball. And then I get to Valley Forge, and we got people that are on our team that never even played a game in their life. Like, never even played baseball once in their life. And I'm just like, what the heck is going on? And then when we kept losing and losing and losing, like, my anger just kept rising and rising. So, uh, coach couldn't make it to, the, to practice the one day. So since I'm a pitcher and I was only a pitcher, I kind of just tried to run the practice and I was hitting ground balls and everything. And we couldn't even field a ground ball. And I just went off the deep end and I went into this angry rant where I dropped some F-bombs, I dropped some swear words in there. And uh, when we went to practice the next day, the coach, coach pulled me aside 
that was the first time that I ever saw that man angry and the last time. Uh, I never saw him angry after that, but he pulled me aside from the rest of the team and basically lit into me and said, I don't care what you did before you came here. I don't, I don't care about anything. He's like, you don't talk to your teammates that way. You don't, you don't, that's not what we do here. Uh, he's like, I should suspend you and kick you off the team right now. And he goes, as of now, you have a one-game suspension, So, uh, which, I mean, I was a pitcher. So he waited until the game that I was supposed to pitch, and he didn't let me play. But uh, <clears throat> it was in that moment that I realized that I tore my teammates down uh, in the worst possible way. So he taught me how to be humble in the sports world because – I never knew what it was like to lose, and I hated it with a passion. I, it was like one of the biggest things that I hated in my whole entire life because I always wanted to win and succeed. Uh, I just had that mentality. So to go back to the softball game, when I came to you guys and I told you that you guys were my family and that I loved you and all that kind of stuff, if it wasn't for that moment in time where my coach pulled me aside, I wouldn't have done that because it taught me how to be humble. And I didn't want you guys to think that because you won that game and that I was mad inside, that it meant that I was mad at you. I just hate losing. But it didn't mean that I was going to treat you guys like filth during that period of time. Because even when you lose, you still I, – I remember the, the fact that I, if I did something differently in that moment besides show you guys love, that could have wrecked our whole entire relationship as a family. So I chose the higher road. I chose to be humble. And I chose you over my own team because – that's how we're supposed to be. That's how 24 down was. Family, you always choose family. And in that moment, I chose you. So that's, that's my story. Uh, yeah, I, I think, and again, my, my memory is not the best. But, so I could be wrong. But from my, this is kind of, and I didn't really share this aspect of it yet. But this is kind of how I remember it. Because, so I didn't. I did not play in that game. I don't think I did play on the team occasionally here and there because we were such a bad team that it was basically like, Hey, whoever wants to show up can play kind of a thing. So I think like <laughs> right. early on in the season, I think I might've played a game or two or three. I, I don't remember, but I don't think I played in that game. I may have, I may not. What I do remember is whether I was playing or I wasn't playing near the end of the game. I very specifically remember either sitting like on the bench or right behind the bench. Cause if I wasn't playing, I just would have been with all the guys <laughs> playing anyway. Right. And I remember like very vividly. I remember in that moment being very excited that we were about to win, but also just this instant like gut feeling of like, but I don't want Rick to lose because <laughs> we all viewed you that same way. Like you were our brother, you were our family. And like, and so for me, from my perspective, 
you doing that after the game and coming down, like I said in the previous podcast, it, the game got heated. Oh, and yeah. we had absolutely, 24 Down had absolutely, first of all, they had no right being in the championship game, much less winning. Right. <laughs> like you said, it was just these like string of miracle plays that like would a thousand times out of a, a 999 times out of a thousand. It's not going to go that way. Right. Um, but I remember like that, that <clears throat> feeling of being like, I'm pumped to win, but man, I don't want Rick to like lose. And when you came over, it was kind of like, it was almost like, I'm sure, like you said, you were upset about it, but it almost made the 24 down celebration feel better because in a right. sense, even though you weren't on the <clears throat> roster, you were part of it. And that's all we wanted was Rick to be part right. of this, you know? Uh, and to go off of what you said in the last podcast, uh, I did say some mean things uh, during that game. And that was part of the reason why I came up after the game is I did apologize for those mean things that I did say, uh, because I, I do remember the little bees comment. And uh, man, that was not a good, uh, that wasn't a good look for me. And I realized after the game that some of the things that I said uh, could negatively impact people. Uh, And even like through the angry moment, uh, you know, I wanted to apologize, but then I also wanted to say, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, my intentions were in the heat of the game uh, saying those things like, I wish I could take it back. But I am also thrilled that this is one of the moments that strengthens us in a way because I never knew that you guys thought about any of that stuff. And that's what's part of, part of great about this podcast is like when we hear stories, like I never knew that that affected you guys in such a way. I never knew that it was that powerful. I forgot all about it. You know, I was like, these guys probably think that I'm the biggest freaking jerk in the world, you know? Um, oh, I almost forgot about one play that happened. I remember I hit a rocket right at the third baseman that game. And another reason why I knew that we were going to lose that game is because uh, I hit the ball so hard uh, to the third baseman on a line drive that if he would have missed it in any way, he probably would have had to go to the hospital. So I don't know who was playing third base during that game, but I clearly remember that I hit the ball so hard that it felt like if he would have missed it with the glove, it would have gone through his body. (laughs) But it was one of those, that was another play that I remember that I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. (laughs) So, you know, but a lot of good came from that. Uh, I am glad that you guys, uh, you know, were victorious, even though, you know, I wanted to win so badly. Uh, but again, <clears throat> the more we talk about it and the different podcasts, you know, that we're talking about this game, I, I'm just very thrilled that something that could have potentially have been a very negative experience uh, was able to, you know, be overcome with love and compassion. And uh, I'm just very glad that all of you guys remember that kind of stuff. And that just signifies the type of person that I am and it signifies the type of people that we were uh, back then to where it didn't really matter if things got heated or not we're family we we love each other and we forgave each other all in the same moment 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. All right, so we are now at the point where I'm just going to kind of turn the floor over to you, uh, let you hit on any remaining stories you want to talk about that we haven't touched on through question segments or anything else like that. So sure. I'm going to literally just turn this over to you and, and I mean, I'll interact when needed, but I let you kind of drive the conversation from here. All right. So uh, when I first got to Valley Forge, I kind of just wanted to be uh, not so much a jerk, but I just wanted to see how far I could push the envelope. So funny story was one of my first weeks of college. Um, one of the first weeks of college, I had these shirts that I bought from the beach and I had a dirty dicks t-shirt from the time that I ate at uh, dirty dicks crab shack at the beach. And I had big Johnston t-shirts. This was before your time hat. You would have really, you would have really have appreciated my, <laughs> my, you know, my, my feelings on this. So I remember I was wearing this big Johnson t-shirt to lunch one day <laughs> And, uh, this was a great moment, a great moment. And, uh, I remember that the shirt that I was wearing was a poker, big Johnson t-shirt. So it had a ginormous stack of chips in the middle and then two other smaller chips. And, you know, you kind of get the gist of what it looked like. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so when it comes down to it, I went to lunch with this t-shirt on. And uh, I think it was Ben John, if I'm not mistaken. I, it, it was him or, or uh, man, I can't remember. I, I can't remember. But someone came up to me and said, hey, man, that shirt's offensive. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, it signifies something that we shouldn't really be talking about here at Valley Forge Christian College. And I was just like, well, I mean, it's not offensive to me. And I said, quite frankly, he's just playing poker, if you ask me. And uh, <laughs> they were like, well, if you wouldn't mind going back to your dorm and, and changing your shirt. And I said, sure, I'll absolutely do that after I eat lunch. <laughs> so, so it was like, it was like in that moment, you know, someone coming up to me and being like, oh, I'm offended and blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, it was in that type of moment that I'm just like, either, either you guys are the most sheltered people in the whole freaking world, and I'm in like bizarro world, or you you are you are oblivious to how the world actually is, and I'm just like, and if that's the case, I, I feel bad for you, like in ministry, because I I swear to you, if you're a pastor of any kind you're going to have kids come up to you all the time being like, you know, Buddha even touched on it. You know, he would fool around with his wife before he was married. They never had sex, but you're going to be put in those situations where kids are going to come up to you and you and ask questions because they trust you for sure. You know, and I'm just thinking for you to get offended over a shirt, I could see if it was like, you know, if I had like a hail Hitler t-shirt on or something like that, <laughs> right. Where, that could cause strike some controversy or something like that. But at the end of the day, you know, I just stuck to my guns and I probably shouldn't have been so stern, but it, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in the, that was during the first, you know, the first week that I was there. 
so it was just kind of like that person tested my patience and I'm just like, Oh man, this is going to be the longest four years of my life. So that was uh, one of the funniest things that I had. Uh, and then um, I'll do the least funny one first uh, out of this is uh, the Carlos talks because every, everyone's had a Carlos talk. This was also before your time hat, but the very first roommate that I had, and a lot of 24 down guys know exactly where this story is going, but I roomed with a guy named Toby uh, and he would never clean up after himself. Like, swear to God, like I, I tried to respect him. I always kept the floor clean, always try to keep to myself, you know, to try to respect him. Every time that I would come back to my room, he would have his clothes thrown all over the floor, shoes everywhere. And then he would come back and I'd be like, yo, dude, I thought we had a conversation about this. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, man. Uh, I was just in a hurry. But it just kept going on and on and on. And I finally got tired of it. So one night he had he had come like I hadn't been back to my room all day. So there were multiple changes of clothing that he had thrown on the floor, which means he already knew that he was there once, threw crap on the floor, and then left, then came back, changed into another pair of clothes, threw them on the floor, knew that he did it. So I gathered up all of the clothes that were on the floor, okay, opened up our front door to 24 down and threw all of his clothes out onto the lawn and oh my god that just struck up a frenzy okay and people are like oh you can't do that you can't do that and i was like you know what he can't do he can't keep doing this crap and, and blah 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 so carlos in his calm voice you know he pulls me aside he's like hey man you you can't be doing this he's like we're supposed to be for the Lord. And he's like, he's your brother in Christ. Uh, you can't, you can't do this. And then he goes on and on and it, you know, in his calm voice, but his like demeanor is so like almost, uh, I mean, I think Buddha brought it up and it's like a therapist voice where it's like, so, quiet and calm but it also made you want to punch him in the face <laughs> like i'm sorry to say that i'm sorry to say it but the whole time i was listening to him i'm just like dude do you not see it from my point of view that's what i wanted to tell him but instead of arguing i just listened to him but it was just so funny because after the whole incident he's like let me pray for you my brother and i'm and then he proceeded to pray and he's like take the hate out of his heart and all this other stuff but i'm just like what the heck is happening right now? I'm just like, I'm getting prayed over because he's like thinking that I have like a hateful spirit. I'm just like, listen, dude, you just preach about how we're supposed to have inspections and how we're supposed to keep our room clean and how we're supposed to respect each other. And he disrespected me and you're choosing his side because I threw his clothes out on the lawn. So it was just one of those things that I'll never forget that experience. But, uh, Toby kind of shaped up after that, and uh, he actually found a different room to live in uh, because of that incident, uh, because I was just tired of it. 
I'm just like, you're not going to keep doing this. Uh, so that was one of the funny Carlos talks, but that was what sparked the very first one, uh, you know, out of all of that. So I thought that that was always like one of the funniest stories, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm a super nice guy, but when I ask you nicely multiple times and I give you all the chances in the world, if you keep doing that crap, I'm going to do something. And when I do it, it's going to be big because I'm big Rick. You know, there's nothing, you're just going to push the buttons till the point where I snap and then it's either going to be funny or it's not. Right. Well, so, I mean, to me, like, again, you are always like such like over the top, nice guy, but I'm sorry. Like you could be over the top, nice guy. There's still something very intimidating about you. Like, Oh yeah. if if you had asked me to do anything college, like I, I think I would just be like, all right, yeah, I got to do it because I don't <laughs> want that. <laughs> well, you know what's funny about that? Uh, that brings me into the next story uh, with James Majeski, and okay. uh, and uh, w- what's funny is I think it, we didn't get into an argument, but something something happened to where he like stood up to me or something like that. And then I pinned him against the wall and he's like, Whoa, 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 big daddy. Whoa, big daddy. What are you doing? And that's how, that's how I got the name big daddy is like pushing me with your big arm and pushing me with your big body and stuff like that. He's like, what are you doing? And then he's like, I got diabetes and stuff like that. (laughs) So he like guilt tripped me into like me not pushing him through the wall. (laughs) <laughs> but it was so funny because after after that moment, like that was such a, a funny time. Like I think we just sat there and laughed about it for a good long while. But that was actually how I got the name Big Daddy because because I I pinned him up against the wall for something that he did and I can't remember exactly what he did, but it it was something that we were able to laugh about all this time later. Uh but that's actually how I got the name uh, of Big Daddy, and it was all because of that moment in time where some something that he said, and I think it was all in fun anyway. But I just manhandled him. He's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" So <laughs> it just it just made it extra funny. Um, oh man, there's there's just so many stories I well, have here. So, so you so you you're talking about. Uh, I don't want to cut you off if you want to go. A no, different, no, you're good. You're good. If, if you want to go a different direction, you were talking about how you were pinning James to the, to the wall. Yeah. I know you had a story about pinning somebody to a car as well, right? Oh man. I totally forgot about that one. I, I don't know. I don't know why I, I must've lost it in my notes. Oh, there it is. Okay. I see it now. So before any of you guys even knew me. Okay. I think this was like the first semester that I was at college might have been the second semester. I can't really remember. Um, I can't really remember. Like, I don't know why I can't remember the girl's name, but I remember, I think like we were in a class together and then there was a dude from 24 up. I want to say his name was Andrew, but I can't remember, but he was a short pudgy kid that had red hair with like a red goatee. And she was telling me that he wasn't a very nice guy. 
and he would he would act like he wanted to hang out but then he would take her to places and like i i don't want to say he made her do things because she willingly did things with this guy but we started talking and on this one particular night she goes well this guy invited you know this this dude invited me to go eat ice cream or whatever and then she sent me this text message that said hey he's not bringing me back to campus and i don't want to do this and i'm like what's going on where are you so she gave me the she tried to give me the best directions that i you know, that she could. So it like took me out into the country, uh, somewhere around campus. And then there was a, it it was like a farm with like a country lane and he had pulled off into this country lane and she was, she had messaged me and said like, I don't want to be doing this with him and stuff like that. Like I'm feeling bad about the situation. So, Hat, I know that you'll appreciate my music selection because you are a uh, you are an advocate of screaming music. Okay, I can remember I pull in behind this guy, so he had like a a Ford Ranger pickup truck, if I'm not mistaken, like something small. And I had a system in my car, and man, I was listening to my summer shove it from deftones i had my windows down my moonroof open and i cranked that sun gun and i sat there behind him with my high beams on until he kicked his uh his truck in reverse okay and then i i backed out of the of that lane and went back to college and sat in the the gym parking lot. Okay. And, and she goes, and I said, are you okay? She said, yes, we're headed back to campus. So when they headed back to campus, as soon as he passed the gym entrance, I followed behind him. And then, you know, how at 24 down, you had the one main parking lot, but then we had the parking lot that was a little bit off to the side. That was kind of like gravel. Yeah. Okay, like on the Bongiorno side. Yep. He pulled into a parking spot, and I pulled my car in behind him so he couldn't get out. And I opened up his door, and I ripped him out of the truck. And I, I, I can't I, – I won't say that I lifted him off the ground because that would embellish the story, but I did rip him out of his truck, and I pinned him against the truck and I had some choice words for the guy. And what I remember from that moment is the look on his face. I mean, you could have sworn that he just pissed his pants. So that was, that was a moment in time where, like, I felt very strongly that there were, like, a lot of douchebags on our campus, okay? And what was funny was, he goes, oh, you, oh, boy, you just made the biggest mistake of your life. Do you know who my dad is? Do you know how much money my parents donate to this college? And I'm like, 
I don't give a crap, man. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care who you are. You don't, you don't treat people this way, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, so anyway, the rumors started around campus and like, everyone's like, oh, you're getting kicked out of school and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? I never got called to the office. I never got called into Talesh's office, nothing. And it was because of all these rumors, she ended up getting called down to the office. And then she had to tell him, or she had to tell them what transpired. And when they asked about my situation, she goes, he was just trying to protect me. So they never even called me down. So he ended up getting suspended and he never came back to Valley Forge after that. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? What a freaking waste of space. I'm like, I hope that he's one of those guys that never gets into ministry because he's a piece of garbage. And I'm, I mean, people can change. People can change 100%. So I don't necessarily want to come off with, I, I hope that he's never in ministry because maybe his heart can be changed and all this kind of stuff. But in the moment, Sure. I was like, I wanted to do so many things to him, but I held myself back. But in that moment, I thought he pissed his pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, let's see. We'll go to some lighthearted stuff now. Um, so I got some Buddha stories, and these were kind of funny. So. So the funniest, the funniest story about Buddha is every time he would take a shower, okay, he would come back to his room and the very first thing he would do is grab the, the bottle of Gold Bond baby powder. Dude, I have never seen somebody squirt so much powder into their shorts. I died laughing every time. Oh my God. I laughed so hard. I'm just like, dude. Can you even see it? Because it's covered in white. I mean, it's just like one of those things where he just powdered his nuts so much that it just it just stuck out of my mind. So that's one of the funniest Buddhist stories ever. He's just like, <laughs> like so much baby powder, gold bond, so the chafing wasn't real. <laughs> oh, and then, uh, <laughs> um, and then to go back. I don't know if Buddha was sharing the same story about when we were on the back of campus playing football, but I'm pretty sure that concussion that Justin Banks had, I don't know if it was the same game, but I don't know if Buddha remembers this, but me and Justin Banks collided head to head and he busted my eyebrow open. And um, the one girl was like, you might have to go to the hospital and get stitches. And I'm like, there is no way in heck I'm getting stitches. Buddha comes over. He goes, this was, he's like, I've never seen anything like it. He goes, you collided. And he goes, it looked like wrestling where they get hit in the head and they walk around and then they fall over. I fell over and then Art Price came over, was standing over me. He's like, oh my gosh, he's bleeding. So all this blood, because it was like at my eyebrow, was like running down the side of my head into the back of my hair. And I stand up and I'm like, oh, I'm okay. So I try to pull my hat over the wound, but the blood just kept running into my eye. So they told me that I couldn't play anymore. Well, Justin Banks and I collided and someone said that it sounded like two bricks smacking together. 
but we both went down and I, I can remember that because I still have the scar, <laughs> you know, but she, uh, it's, uh, I think his name was Ray, Ray Corbo, but it was his wife. His wife came over to 24 down with like this med kit and put butterfly strips over my eye. So that way I wouldn't have to go get stitches. So thankfully for her, I didn't have to make a trip to the hospital. But, dude, I feel like if I would have kept playing, I might have barfed because I'm pretty sure I had a concussion as well. Like, the hit was so hard that it was crazy. Well, and, and Justin Banks isn't a small guy either. So, I can you know, no. you can only – you picture, you know. Right. Um, and then my other last Buddha story that I have, uh, which was a funny moment. So, it was, I think it was during that same game, actually. So we were blocking and Buddha was coming around to, to try to get the quarterback. And I blindsided him so hard that his legs went up in the air and he came down. I have never, I have never in my life had somebody ever stand up after I put them ass over 10 cup and shake my hand, and he goes, dude, that was the most awesome thing that's ever happened. I'm like, dude, I just knocked you on your can, and you're coming up shaking my hand saying that that was the best thing that has ever happened. I'm like, this is, this is not – this isn't correct. But, yeah, that was, uh, that was one of the most funny, funny times of my life when I just knocked him on his rear end during that game. And he gets up and starts laughing and shakes my hand and says, that was awesome. He's like, let's keep doing it. I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you? Oh, let's see. Um, so the other one was the, the white lion story. And uh, that brings me to Tom Rizzo, Mr. Pep Nips himself. And I, I can't be for sure if I actually said Pep Nips first. I can't be sure of that, but anytime that he had his shirt off, I was like, what's up, Pep Nips? So I definitely, I definitely branded uh, the Pep Nips a lot more than probably other people <laughs> when he had his shirt off. But uh, this goes out to Tom. Wait, wait, I never had a chance to love you. And then when he listens to this podcast, if he does, because he doesn't have a Facebook, so he's, I hope that he does listen to the podcast. Yeah, he's listening. <clears throat> but uh, that was one of our things together uh, because, again, just like uh, just like anything else, uh, he was kind of into, like, the Rozelle stuff, and he would bum-a-ninga, you know, do all the kind of stuff. But uh, I played some White Lion and sang the song, and it would make him laugh every time. So I found myself just blasting that song at different periods of time when I knew that he was in the hallway, and I would peek my head out and sing to him, and it would just make him laugh. <laughs> so that was like another funny moment, uh, another funny moment in time that I can just share with people like from 24 down. Uh, it was just so funny and fun to do some of the stupid things that we did, but even the simple things of playing a song that he never, like no one even knows who freaking white lion is, but it was just <laughs> the fact that that song 
signified our friendship was it's it's always amazing that's awesome what else you got man so i know i know you wanted to talk about um you wanted to talk about uh suspension and you wanted to talk about uh telesha and brock office visits oh yeah 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 okay i'll start with the telesha the the telesha uh story here so when we went to see 300 uh, every single one of us had to go visit Telesha in his office. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Pretty yeah. sure he brought everybody in as an individual. So what I loved about Mark Telesha is that he, he was – he's an outstanding human being. Instead of him being a jerk, uh, he allowed you to speak your mind and why you went to see the movie. Okay, and then he would explain to you why you shouldn't have gone to see the movie. And then he actually asked me to my face. He's like, would you go see it again if you had the opportunity? And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the funny part was he just sat me down. He, he didn't find me. He didn't want to suspend me or anything. But, you know, he just went on to say, you know, like, listen, man, I own R-rated movies, too but I took a vow when I came to this campus that I would package them up in this box. And he's like, I don't watch R rated movies while I'm here because that's what I signed up for. So I respected him as my RD more because he treated me like a human being. And some of my experiences on that campus were like, I didn't get treated like a human being. It, it was kind of like, you're wrong. And this is how it should be. So if Mark listens to this podcast, I just want to thank him for uh, going easy on us because it could have definitely been a lot worse for all of us because there, he could have set an example, a big example, uh, if he really wanted to. And I think, I think in his mind, he had to decide whether he thought, do I do this? and and could I could potentially wreck the community and the camaraderie that they have together or do I show humility and scold them let them know that they did something wrong and do I and do I talk to them like a father figure in this in this moment in time and I feel like he did a great job of doing that because he he gained my respect so much from that from that talk in his office that I was just like, you know what, this guy, uh, this guy sees it how I see it. You know, like he sat me down like a dad would, he would, he scolded you. He didn't tell you that, you know, he didn't, you know, go off the deep end. He's just a, a mellow chill guy. And I just want him to know that I appreciated him in that moment. He may not have ever known that, but years down the road, I still remember that conversation. And I remember, like, I was angry even having to be there. But after I left, I felt like be I felt better because of how he handled the situation. Um, I forget the Bobby Brock story, but I remember that I had to go to his office for something. And he kind of did, like, the same thing. Um, but then to come to find out that, some stuff happened with Bobby Brock down the road. And then it was kind of like, 
well, maybe, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, maybe this is why he was a little bit less, you know, less of a, uh, you know, wanting to take matters into his own hands because, <laughs> you know, then, <laughs> you know, but either way, uh, I think the RDs that we had at the time uh, really wanted to put more into us instead of making an example. And I, I really think that if they look back and they think about the job that they did, I think instead of doing what the school would have done and treated us the way that they did, I think they really gave us the ability to say, you know what, I respect you as a person and I'm really thankful that you're just talking to me and not, you know, going this extra mile because he could have, he could have fined every single one of us. For sure. I, I don't, I don't remember if I, I don't think I ever got fined. No, I, I know think, that I didn't get suspended. I think uh, honestly, and, and unfortunately for them, I think what helped us was the fact that we went and saw 300 same night we went and saw 300. We had our flag stolen the next day the video on the MySpace went through. So I think, I think it kind of helped us that the, the flag stealers had their right. own, their own stuff going on. And so we were looked at as, okay, well, all these guys did was go see 300, you know? Right. Um, I think that in a long run helped us out, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it could have a hundred percent could have, but you know what? We'll never know. Unless we have a Mark Telesha episode, and he I, I, re- and he reveals, he reveals the, uh, you know, to us like his thoughts in that moment, right? You know, because I'm sure th- there's no way, there's no way that you could have an, you could have a sit down process with 13 or 14 people that went to see that movie and not I remember it, was, it. I think it was there, more there, than that. Yeah, there, there is no way that you could have invited every single person that went to that movie to your office and forget about the whole thing. So he definitely would have a different perspective on this. But when he listens to this, I want him to know that I appreciated that moment. Yeah, I will, I will second that and say that. So like, uh, let's see, I came in 2006 and I want to say Mark was gone by 2007, maybe like the start of 2007. I, yeah. Maybe 2008. I don't remember. I only dealt with Mark for a year or two out of my time there. And right. so him, him and I didn't have like a super, super close uh, bond. Like I know he had the Tekken thing with Matias and the Halo thing right. with, the, with the English twins and, and he had all these things. And so like I always knew who Telesha was and, him and I got along fine, but we never had this like one moment that like this defined our whatever. But I will agree with you. Like I respect Telesha so much and and you could tell that he really like he was he wasn't only the rd of 24 down and maybe he won't admit this but 24 down was by far his favorite and you could tell like he would he he loved us and respected us and gave us you know there's other people at that college again i'll get more into this when i get to my episode uh dr mortensen i have zero respect for that guy and i'll get into why but talesha absolutely 100 you know if there was anything that 
I ever did that I was in the wrong and he called me out for, I would sit there and be like, okay, yeah, you know? So I, I agree with you. Like, Talesha, great guy. And I do plan to hopefully have him on at some point. Good. Yeah. Um, the, the suspension story. So this was after my 24 down days. So I moved to four up because I was tired of getting random roommates that I'm just like, they were either weird or like people that I couldn't stand, you know, like Toby. And then, uh, I, I didn't really take the time to know my second roommate. His name was Joel. But you could tell that he was, like, by the book, like, goody two-shoes, very sheltered individual that, like, his parents probably, like, locked him in, the, in their house to try to keep him from what the world was really like. And I, I don't mean to say that in a negative way. Uh, because like some of these podcasts could get out there, but I don't want anybody to think negative, but I never really gave him the opportunity because he was such a quiet kid. Um, and he was always off studying or with his girlfriend at the time or whatever, but it was just like, it was like, he was never there. Like he was just, uh, like a figure of my imagination. He was just a kid that would come to the room to sleep and then I never saw him after that and then I roomed with Matt Wolf for a while and uh I like the kid he's just freaking weird (laughs) and I I I mean I'm not I would never say anything bad about him but that's just like Buddha talking about his first roommate you know saying that he's weird it's like he wasn't weird to the to the point where you were like man something's wrong with this kid it, it was just like, you know, he reminded me of like he was stuck in happy days. Always had the leather jacket, like felt like he smoked all day long, you know, t- slick back hair, you know, like type of situation. And it's just like I never had a roommate that I could really uh, – I never really had a roommate that I cared that they were with me. So it was just like, I I roomed with Matt Wolf because I knew that he would just leave me the hell alone, (laughs) you know, Uh, because I I just, like, I basically hated every roommate that I ever had. And I don't know if, because I can't remember if James Majeski and I ever roomed together, but if we did, because I can't, I can't remember if we were roommates or not, but I do like him. <laughs> but but like like my experiences with James were just like funny times. I think you guys uh, did room together for a semester, which is fine. You know, if I had if I had to pinpoint something, like me and James, like he was my favorite roommate. Yeah. If we were roommates. I can't, the reason why I can't remember is because I think he was just like thrown in there after Toby left, and I can't really remember that part of my life. And I think the reason why things don't stick out as much is because, like, we got along. So it was like I didn't, I didn't find him weird. You know, I didn't find – it was like a neutral feeling. Every other roommate I can tell you about because it was like goody two-shoes or weird or I was pissed off at him. But, you know, I can't remember. But I think, I think we did, and if we did, then – he can be happy to know that, you know, I, I don't think any 
anything bad about him. So I think we always laugh together. Uh, sadly, I think I made fun of him for being a diabetic a time or two. Everybody uh, did. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but I always remember he used to play the guitar. So <clears throat> you know, but uh, but yeah, as far as far as that goes. Um, but when I moved to four up, I just wanted to be by myself. I you know, Buddha had left and moved on. Like Pete graduated. Like basically everybody that we that was like a part of 24 down whenever I first got there was like basically gone. So it wasn't like I didn't have, I didn't have like that, <clears throat> that allegiance to 24 down, you know, it's not like it left. It's just that I had like a different mindset uh, at the time and I was taking some harder classes and uh, like I had a couple of Giacomo classes. I had, um, man, why can't I remember the one guy's name? Uh, the one guy that was from Pitcairn, PA, but he had like a really hard class besides like the Dr. Hall classes. I was going to say Dr. Hall is the one that reminds me. <clears throat> but you know what, Dr. Hall, I can say this and I don't care if people, if, if, if people think one way or the other, if you took a Dr. Hall class and you got a B in his class, you got a freaking A in pretty much any other class because he required so much of you that even a B made you feel like you got a freaking A with the <laughs> amount of work that you had to do for his class and the tests that he had to, that he made you take. I mean, seriously, like there were times like if I got a B in his class, I jumped for joy. So, <laughs> um, but anyway. Uh, I worked for K Jewelers at one point in my life whenever I was at college and I was in four up and, you know, I just wanted to try to make more money. Well, I started off in the main mall at King of Prussia, like the big ginormous one. And then after Christmas time, they moved me over to the mall that really nobody goes to the one that you had to walk across, uh, you know, like basically I call it the forgotten one because all the cool stuff was in the big part, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they had another K jewelers in that store. And I remember that they always got on you to do these credit applications and I hated doing it and hated doing it. And then they, they were basically like, if you don't do like one or two a day or whatever it is, um, you know, we're probably going to have to let you go. So then like I was under the crunch, you know, and I didn't know what to do. So what I started doing was like, I would just make up addresses and names and things like that. And what I didn't realize is like, it, it doesn't ask you it, like on these applications, it doesn't ask you for their uh, for their social or anything like that. But somehow my stupid rear end decided like I was running out of names. So do you remember Amy Miller? The name sounds familiar, but she was like an RD for. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Yep, I remember Amy. So I put her name down on this application and I get called down to the office and 
I guess what happened was it ran her credit. And I'm like, what the hell? How did that happen? Like, I basically made all of the information up. I made all the information up. So I get called down to the office, and Jenny Duncan was was the person of, of power at the time. Yep. And uh, she brought me into her office, and I had to explain myself. And I was, and I was very humble and very apologetic. But she freaking stuck it to me, and I will never forget that. She was not – she didn't show me any humility whatsoever. Uh, basically, let me share my side of the story, didn't even comment, and, told, and basically told me that uh, in a nice in, – in, a, in a, the Valley Forge persona type of textbook talking, basically – told me the VFCC way of saying you're a big piece of doo-doo. And I didn't, I never, I never respected her after that because she never asked me like, were you pressured to do these types of things? Like she never asked me why I did it. She goes, just explain yourself. And then she never commented on anything. So then she suspended me for, uh, it was kind of like a, a long suspension. It, it was kind of like uh, three or four weeks, maybe. Like, I didn't realize there were different types of suspension. I thought it was like a week or something like that. So I go home, you know, with my tail between my legs because I had to tell my family, like, this is what I did. Like, I lost my job, so I had to start over because they basically fired me because Amy Miller called Kay Jewelers and basically said, you know, like reamed everybody out for it, which again, I'm apologetic because I didn't really know that that was what was going to happen. Uh, I thought, you know, I'm just making crap up on this application so I don't get fired, which I got fired anyway. Um, but during that suspension, I went home and I hung out with my friends pretty much every day. And I'll be honest with you, Jenny Duncan, I didn't learn shit. I'm sorry for swearing, but, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, you're talking about Dr. Mortensen and all of them, uh, you know, all those people, you know, that everybody was like supposedly supposed to look up to. Like, I didn't look up to any of them. And I know that you had like a Dr. Meyer uh, incident, you know, and stuff like that. I never had a bad incident with Dr. Meyer. He always like talked to me and I get it like with, the, but I have tattoos and you can clearly see that I had a tattoo on my chest. However, I'm not saying that piercings and all this stuff like changed his mind about different types of people, you know, but you can, you can definitely tell. And this is, this is how, this is how God wants you to be anyway. They want you like God wants you to hold yourself accountable and hold yourself to a higher standard. I get that, but we're freaking human beings, man. We're, we're not trash. We're not like we make mistakes and God still loves us. I felt like when I made that mistake, I felt like I was scarred for life. Like I never made eye contact with Jenny Duncan. Like I may have like nothing, like I would never say that I would ever cause any harm to anybody. But like I, in my head, hypothetically, I was like, I just want to slash your tires right now <laughs> because, because she said that they would have to reevaluate 
whether or not they would allow me to come back to Valley Forge after my suspension. It's funny. I heard the same story. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so at, so at the end of the day, I drive all the way from home. I get back to Valley Forge. She pulls me in the room and then she puts me on like this probation. I don't even know if that was like a real big thing, but it was basically like, you know, you're not, you do one thing, even sneeze too loudly, which my sneezes were outrageous. I'm saying that as like a, you know, right. but she was saying that I've got my eyes on you, you know, and I felt like I was just under a lamp that I should have never been. Like I apologize. I don't know how many times that you can apologize, but after that, I, I just wanted to graduate and get the heck out of there because that one mistake made them look at me a different way. And I shouldn't have had, I shouldn't have spent my whole four years there to have one incident that I made, I made a mental catastrophic error and thought it was harmless. And it tainted how people looked at me for my whole college career. Now that was one person. I don't know who else knew that. I don't know if Dr. Meyer knew that. I don't know if other members of leadership knew that. I don't know if a cat like cabinet with all of the professors and stuff knew all of that. So I, you know, here I am walking around campus thinking that everyone's looking at me like I'm the most evil person in the whole freaking world, you know? So that, that's my story about the suspension. Cause not many people knew that I got suspended. Uh, and it wasn't like the most outrageous suspension, you know, for doing something, but I mean, it was technically like, I probably could have been arrested. You know, I, I don't, I don't know the, the logistics of it, but that's how stupid I was at the time. Like I was dumb to all of that. And, and here is like the pressure of work and I need to work to pay my bills and do all this other stuff. And I just made a stupid mistake and I feel like Valley Forge made me pay dearly for it. And they didn't actually care how I felt because one of their loyal, most outstanding, prestigious women of Valley Forge made a stink about something and they freaking stuck it to me. And I'm not saying that I wasn't at fault, but they could have definitely taken a, a different type of perspective and a different look. And I just felt like I was ganged up on women. I'm not saying that they're feminists or anything like that. I would never in my life say anything bad about people because I did make that mistake. So yes, I paid the price. It was my fault. But at the end of the day, I, I basically think that they knew that they were going to drop the hammer on me before I even entered that room. I never stood a chance. And I, right. that's how I felt. No, I, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely, I mean, I've got, Again, in my stories, and this might come up in my podcast or when I have Gene on, Gene and I have a story where, to be honest, I don't have a ton of respect for Jenny Duncan either based on how she, <laughs> how she treated us in a certain scenario that I'm not going to give away right now. But she just, she just reminds me of a person that thinks that her crap doesn't stink. For sure. And it's just like, you know what? I bet you if you dug a little bit deeper into someone's life, I'm sure – that she wasn't the most perfect person in the world either. Right. And like how they viewed people for getting in trouble at that college, shame on them for some of the things that they did. Now, do some people 
you know, deserve to get thrown out of school because they did this or that. Absolutely. 100%. But I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying that what I did wasn't a severe thing, you know? Uh, so I'm not going to downplay like what I did, but at the same time, I, I definitely was not shown humility whatsoever. Right. And no, I'm, sure and- you, I'm sure you weren't either, but I, I don't know what type of trouble that you got in prior to that incident. So if you had a clean slate where they didn't have to deal with you before, this was the first time that I have ever gotten pulled down to the office to talk to anybody. All right. So I was thinking like, okay, I can go in there. I can show them that I'm sorry. And I might, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that you had some, some troublesome times <laughs> at Valley Forge. So <laughs> When I hear your story, I think, you know, things will come out. But ultimately, I, I just feel like some of the faculty, I didn't really care for, but it's not my place to say. Yep. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, I, I think uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I don't know if you've got anything else. I, I don't want to leave on, on such a, a, a somber uh, mood here. So, yeah, I don't you, know why I saved that for last. It's I'm fine. Like, That's my bad, bro. My no, no, you're you're good. You're good. The only the only thing I'm going to ask is um, if you've got uh, any, uh, you could do any number of these. It, it, maybe if you got any positive words, or maybe just your laugh, or um, I know I know Buddha wanted to hear the uh, the I am speech, which I, I know you said you weren't going to be able to necessarily do. Uh, I, I will I will attempt because I think at the end of this podcast, I think everyone is going to freaking laugh super hard. So, so set up, uh, set up, set up the I am speech thing real quick again, just for those who don't know what, what the whole thing was. It was so, a poster, right? Yeah. So in room 117, which was Buddha's room, there was this big poster that had a picture of Jesus and then it gave all of his I am's uh, up and down that uh, up and down that poster. So what ended up happening was I ended up going into that room. And for some strange reason, I, I have no idea how it even started, but I just started doing like what I think God's voice would sound like or Jesus' voice would sound like from heaven you know and uh but during this whole speech that i was doing reading this poster i started stripping my clothes off so so i had a hoodie on i unzipped it i pulled that off and then by the end of the speech i was shirtless and i and i think that's what added to everything uh because at the end of the day uh it just made everybody laugh but i was pretty sure that matt matias had it on video and then he's like, I lost the video. So <laughs> it was like one of those things where I'm just like, oh, man. Uh, let me see. And the Lord said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true wine, vine, whatever. 
I am, said the Lord. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. Dude, it's one of those things that, like, I just love, like, looking back, I, I honestly just love the fact that people remember bits and pieces of our past. And when, you know, we're doing these podcasts and we hear the stories and it rekindles those relationships and you get the stories. It just makes me laugh, man, to, to think that I did anything funny to, to know that I was, you know, a really nice person and, and people enjoyed me being around. Uh, it, it's really awesome, you know, to think that, I mean, Buddha graduated in 2008. That was 12 years ago. And for him, that that stuck out in his mind because that was probably one of the funniest moments at Valley Forge. Like, that means the world to me. That that one little thing that I did that took me less than two minutes to read, but the fact that I started stripping off my clothes <laughs> during that speech, it, it, just, it just drives me bonkers to, you know, to have people on and then they're like, oh, man, you know, I have this story or I have that story. Uh, and that I can be a part of that. Uh, that is like my favorite thing in the world that people can remember things that I have done that made them laugh or made them a better person, you know, stuff like that. I, I mean, I just, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to be on the podcast and I'm just thankful that I got to be a part of everybody's life that was on 24 down. And I'm glad that we're taking this time that we can all get together. Uh, even though this is just a podcast, uh, it just really, it just really opens up your, your brain to think back and like, Oh man, you know, this was one of the coolest times. And I'm sure even though I hated Valley Forge when I first got there, if it wasn't for 24 down, my college experience would probably have been ruined to for be sure. honest with you. For sure. I mean, I, I, I said the same thing on a previous podcast. If you take 24 down on my college experience, it's the worst time in my life. Hands down. Right. So, and I, I know that mine was a little bit more abbreviated than others because I spent like two and a half years there instead of like all four years. But at the end of the day, I, I think during those, during those years of being, you know, part of that floor, you know, I, I honestly feel like they, they definitely were some of the best times of my life. I, I loved going to sporting events, cheering on everybody. Uh, I loved, I loved our football games, you know, like when we would to, to know that 24 up never beat us ever. And they always talk so much trash miles and Rocco and all them, you know, I'll never forget when Von Carson freaking knocked out, uh, it was either Miles or Rocco for us to win the game. Like, not knocked him out, but just crushed him. And then we ended up scoring. But, uh, man, some that, that first year that the, the Patriot Bowl was ever a thing, and we all dressed in black, and we had mohawks, that was freaking awesome. Um, I, well, at least I know me and Justin Banks had mohawks. But Matias gave me a mohawk. And we freaking went out there and just crushed the pants off of them. Uh, 
you know, and one funny story and, you know, I know we're going a little bit long here, but I can remember, uh, his name was Chaz. I forget what his last name is, but, uh, I remember this specifically because I mouthed off to him after I did it. But I remember when we were playing his team, uh, during that first Patriot bowl and I kept pushing him. I just kept pancaking him on the ground. Like every time he went up against me, I would like, he would end up having to pick himself up off the ground. He's like, stop pushing me to the ground. And I said, well, stop being a pussy and you wouldn't be on the ground. <laughs> if you don't like getting on the ground, then get off the field or play a different position. And, uh, you know, I remember that because it just goes back to the softball thing. It's like, I'm super competitive. And in the heat of the moment, like, I just, like, I could lose my mind, but after it's all over, I go back to being a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Dude, I, I, I appreciate you being on this episode so much. Um, like I've told everybody, like, this is not a one and done thing. There's going to be opportunities for you to come back on down the road. But um, I, re- I really, really do appreciate um, before, before, you, uh, before we take off here, and I'll let you have the last word, but um, – just want to remind everybody to like us on Facebook. Um, we've got a Facebook page. If you haven't found it yet, the 24 down podcast has a Facebook page where you can now even book a, uh, an appointment or a, a time to do this podcast, to be a guest. Um, you can also look for the 24 down group page on Facebook. That's, that's more of a, uh, the 24 down podcast page is more for like the, the podcast itself, but there's a 24 down I don't know what you call that, um, but it's, it's basically out of all us in there and we try and keep it touched that way. Uh, if you can't fit, find it, get at somebody, you know, 24 down, I'm sure they can find it. Uh, if you want to email us for any reason, 24 down podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us, find us at uh, Twitter. It's at 24 down podcast. Um, again, if you're looking to get a shirt at all, check our store frontier page out. It's storefrontiercom slash two, four down. And you could listen to us. Well, I mean, if you're listening, then you know where you can listen to us. So I appreciate everybody listening to us. Rick, I appreciate you being here. I'll let you you have the last word, man. Yeah, man. Today's podcast is brought to you by the number 24 and also the letter D. All right, guys. Take care. (laughs) Hey, thanks for having me on. It was was a lot of fun. Uh, Keep up the good work. And like I said, you're like the the Joe Rogan of 24 down podcast. So (laughs) I I love this experience, man. Uh, So keep up the good work. And I hope that if anybody has reservations of doing the podcast, uh, every, every person has had experiences. So we definitely want everybody to be a part of this. It's so much fun. I'm just glad to be a part of it. Okay. All right, cool. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too. On a long, lonesome highway East of Omaha I can listen to the engines Morning out is one old song Think about the woman or the girl you knew the night before But 